This is a sermon podcast of the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of uh, 1 Corinthians this morning? And uh, 1 Corinthians, as you're turning there, uh, we have a, a big event happening today. And uh, it's about Operation Christmas Child. As you know, we've made an advertisement that there's a packing party going on today right after the morning worship service. Everybody is welcome to come. Uh, there's going to be some food there. And, and but most importantly, uh, we've got these tables they are already set up and there are ton, there's piles of stuff on these tables. And uh, we're going to be packing shoeboxes, getting them ready as a jump start for our church-wide involvement with Operation Christmas Child. Uh, someone's asked me recently, well, pastor, you've not announced the number. What is our big goal? Uh, we don't have one this year. Here is our goal. It's not a number. It's going to be a question. I want each and every one of you to participate. That's just like, kind of like step one, participate. Um, Put together a box and we've got flyers. We've got the handouts for it that will be coming and being put into bulletins and, and all that stuff. So you'll know how to do it. But I want you to pack some boxes. And then after you pack them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at what you've done and ask God if that was your very best. That's our goal. Your very best. And we're going to see what your very best will translate into number-wise during our collection week later on in November, all right? Furthermore, we've got another exciting opportunity for those of you who have already been involved with Operation Christmas Child or, or you want to extend your involvement, we are heading back to the, uh, uh, to, to the uh, processing center in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, the weekend right after Thanksgiving. So Black Friday, you know, the whole shopping day. We're going to be leaving that day via chartered bus, a nice chartered bus. We're going to head up to Charlotte. We're going to spend uh, a Friday evening working in the uh, processing center. Uh, we're going to Go get a good night's rest of sleep. We'll come back Saturday, work another short time. And then uh, that afternoon, we're going to take you off for a nice little treat. We're going to head out to uh, the Concord Mill Shopping Mall, ladies, so, uh, or guys, because there's a Black & Decker store there, too. So, and a Bass Pro, there's a Bass Pro Shop, too. But in any event, uh, but that's not why we're going. The main event is going to be working in the processing center. Here's what's cool about that. You're opening up the boxes. You're getting the, bo- the sh- actual shoe boxes uh, in their final preparations, and then and packing them up into cartons. The cartons, once they are sealed up, they won't be opened again until the kids get them. You are the last American hands that will touch these shoe boxes before they go overseas. Isn't that cool? That's just like totally awesome. Just think about it. The sign up for that begins this morning. We've got a volunteer who's going to be working the side table between our worship center and Brandon Hall, that clear glass uh, table in the side foyer here. She's going to be there. We've got a volunteer that's going to help answer your questions and get you signed up, tell you about the pricing structure, all of that stuff. So go ahead and start signing up today. Space is limited. Once the bus is full, we're not going to take anybody else. Okay. So uh, we do have space limited there. So uh, moving on from there, I want you excited about that, but I also want you excited about the Word of God this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There's a comedy movie that came out a few years ago called 51st Date, starring Drew Barrymore. In that movie, uh, it was about a young lady who, uh, in a funny way, the way that they kind of told the story, is about a lady who had a car accident, and uh, she had a really interesting form of amnesia. It's called anterograde amnesia. 
in anterograde amnesia, what happens is every time you go to sleep, your memory is wiped clean. It's like your hard drive, you know, on a computer and it's wiped clean. You wake up to a brand new set of memories. You cannot remember what happened the night before, the day, uh, the week before, whatever. Now, that may sound like a silly premise for a movie, but it's actually based on reality. 1985 in England, a lady by the name of Michelle Philpotts was, uh, uh, suffered a head injury in a motorcycle accident. A couple years later, or several years later, in 1994, she had another uh, brain injury as a result of another accident. The culmination of those two accidents brought on that same anterograde amnesia, meaning that Mrs. Uh, um, Philpotts, every time she goes to sleep, her memory is wiped clean. That's how this amnesia works. Then when she wakes up, she has a brand new set of memories. Every day when she wakes up, her husband wakes up with her. And the first thing he has to do in the morning is show her a picture of their their wedding day to remind her first and foremost that they are actually married. Could you imagine living life where every single day you woke up and you had to restart your memories from scratch? You had to relearn everything about stuff going on around you. But I wonder sometimes if we already live that way and we don't really know about it. I think sometimes we may have anterograde spiritual amnesia. Meaning that what we learn about the Lord and what we learn about by reading our scriptures, what we learn about on Sunday morning in the worship services and on Sunday night and Wednesday night and in our Sunday school time, the things that we learn about the Lord. I wonder sometimes when we lay our head down on our pillows at night, do we wake up and do we forget what we've been learning. I think sometimes that we do. I am actually convinced that the world has so much of us right now. And I believe some of you, the world has its clutches wrapped around you and you don't even know it yet. And you're thinking so much like the world that your default status in life is doing whatever the world does. We all struggle we're somewhere on that spectrum, every single one of us. Some of you, you, can't, you don't know how to operate spiritually with your finances. You only see dollar bills through the bottom line. Because the world has its clutches around you. You don't see the kingdom impact of money. Some of you, it's about uh, relationships and, 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 uh, and, and, and intimacy. The only way that you think you know how to love is the way that the world will love. Some of you are touched by, by entertainment. If it's not reality television of some sort or dancing with whoever, it's you, you just don't know how to be entertained unless it's got, you know, the, the TV on and, and something happening that doesn't really ever edify you. And see, here's the problem. As if that isn't enough of a problem. You're never going to be immune from any of that ever. As a matter of fact, in certain quantities, there's actually nothing wrong. For the, for the financier, there's nothing wrong with knowing how to balance a checkbook. For, for, for the television, there's nothing wrong with, with certain programming and, and things that you see. When it comes to relationships, yes, I mean, God is the author of all relationships. Question is, are we, are we really ready to take biblical truth and put it first place in every area of our lives? 
Are we really ready? Because I know it's easy to amen and it's easy to, to, to shout out. And, and I know it's easy to agree kind of quietly. It's easy to do all that here. It is so easy for us to listen to a message like this. But the, listen, the truth is going to come when we walk out those doors. That's, listen, it's... It, it, the sermon starts in the, in, the, in the parking lot as far as I'm concerned. As a pastor of this church, I believe the impact that our church makes, it begins as soon as the, the, the guest opens their car door, they step out and they walk to the worship center. But listen, our message does not end until Saturday night when we lay our heads down. That means we have an entire week of, of, of trying to figure out how in the world am I going to live with a kingdom mindset that oversees my money, my relationships, my marriage, my, my, uh, uh, my parenting skills, uh, how I'm treating my coworkers, how I'm treating my neighbors, the conversations that I have, the things I watch on TV. What do I do with all of that? And listen, I know that that's a very real struggle for you because it's a very real struggle for me. I battle the same things you battle every single day. I have to wake up and I have to make a conscious effort to say, God, I want the word of your truth. I want your word to have preeminence in my life today, whether it's on a phone conversation, typing out an email, writing out a sermon or a Bible study, uh, going out to eat, you know, whatever I'm doing. The stuff I watch on TV, the stuff I'm, uh, everything that I do, I want it touched by your truth. And sometimes we have that anterior grade spiritual amnesia where we just wake up and we forget why we do what we do. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, for the Corinthian church, they were in a world very much like ours. I think the only difference between the Corinthian world and our world was technology. You see, the Corinthians were known for their rugged independence. They were also fighters. You know about Greek culture, Sparta, Troy. I mean, they, they were fighters. They knew how to, and they were competitive. Think about the Olympic Games. I mean, this is where it, it was the birthplace in this region at the time. They were super competitive. They were radically uh, individualistic and independent. It was hard for them just like it's hard for us to take the word of God, which teaches us dependence upon the Lord first and foremost and devotion to him and have it to saturate everything that they were doing. They were suffering from that anterior grade spiritual amnesia as well. Reading the text this past week and just trying to figure out what the world I'm going to do with it. I kind of felt like the dog chasing a car. Have you ever been driving and there's a dog, starts running after you and starts chasing the car. Have you ever asked yourself, what is a dog going to do with it once he catches it? Well, I caught a text this morning and I'm telling, I'm telling you guys, it just, you know, there's a lot of stuff here. It is pregnant with spiritual truth. And I'm just going to navigate you through a few simple things that, that have spoken to me. And, and here's, and here's what I believe the text does this morning. This text is going to teach us that if we that if we want to make sure that our relationships uh, are great, if we want to make sure, listen, that we struggle less in, in particulars, we as the body of Christ have to start agreeing more. In other words, Paul is telling us in this text that spiritual unity in the church will make a difference in our testimony and in our relationships and all of those other battles that we have to face. 
Let's, uh, would you stand together with me? I'm going to read the text, and I'm going, to, I'm going to give you three clues that are within this text. They're not the only three. I believe there's a lot more, but I'm only going to give you three that's found in this text. But I want you to follow along with me as I read it to you. Ready? Verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, verse 12, what I mean is someone says, well, I follow Paul. Another one says, I follow Apollos. Another one says, I follow Cephas. Or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else there. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Heavenly Father, I pray that in the time that we have remaining that I can just do as much with this text as I possibly can. Father, may you work through me and in me. Let any strength that I have be nothing but your strength. And God, may you be glorified and your kingdom be exalted uh, as a result of our time here together. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. So here's some, here's some clues here. Here's three things I want you to remember. Remember, we're, we're, we're talking about this, you know, uh, uh, anterograde grade spiritual amnesia. How do I, how do I wake up every single morning and, and just have some primary thoughts on my brain relative, listen to me, relative to my relationships that remember, that's what this text is, is gearing towards. First of all, is this, here, here's a, here's a big clue here in the text. Number one, our fellowship inherently has more to agree upon than disagree. So why major on the minors? Or minor on the majors? It doesn't matter which way you put it, right? We just can't put all of our stock in all the miniature stuff, right? We don't want to major on the minors. And we don't want to minor on the majors. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about the fact that there is so much agreement here already that must be our focus. But listen to me as you follow Christ and listen to me close here, guys, because I'm telling you this, this is gold right here. Reason why we preach and teach church attendance, Sunday school, being here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Is because the more that you are with your body of Christ growing together in the Lord, the less you're going to have to fight about later on. Because you're learning together. You're growing in God's word together. And you'll start agreeing together. I'm telling you guys, this is as solid gold truth as I could ever preach. You take folks. You take folks who want to show up when they want to. You take folks who just show up on their own time schedule. You take folks who church attendance is not a priority. And then, and then go over and, and then kind of make another list. Who typically is the loudest? Who typically is the most opinionated? Who typically gets, gets more upset over little things? And I believe that you'll start finding a correlation between those who are not dedicated 
to the fellowship of Christ and wanting to grow and learn together. And you'll see a correlation between that type of person and the one who's more easily upset, easily offended, easily this, easily that. Look at how the text and look at what Paul uses as an argument. He says, I want you to agree. No divisions among you. And the reason why I know and, and, and the reason why this is a big deal is because you can't even you can't even get past your baptism. Listen, baptism does not save. You know that we're having a baptism next week and, and, and I do an orientation class. And I t- and one of the things that I make sure that they know is that baptism has nothing to do with getting them saved. OK. It is important. But that's like the first thing that you do. As you're following Christ, they should have been well past the issue of baptism. And and don't ask me why they were arguing over it. I, I, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that they were probably divided because they said, well, we like the way, uh, and I mispronounced his name. The word Cephas is as it's been popularly known. It's actually got a case on it's Kephas. And it's another name for, for Peter. And, and they, they also had Apollos and, and they had, but they were arguing over, this I follow stuff and historians tell us and, and, and folks will tell us if you look at the text here, they're quarreling among you. I'm following Paul, Apollos, Christ, whatever. But if you look at verse 13, uh, a lot of commentators suggest that actually what they were arguing over was their baptism because of what Paul was, Paul using that word there in that verse. If you look there, it says, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You know, was Christ divided? Was Paul crucified? So this was like foundational stuff that he should have never been arguing over. It was, you know, and I don't know if like, you know, Apollos was like a super cool guy doing baptisms. You know, I don't know if it's like, well, I, you know, the Corinthians were probably arguing over who held their breath the longest when they were held under the water. I don't know. I, I don't know what the argument specifically was entailing. But they were arguing over entry level stuff. That had no presence in being a source of division among a congregation that is healthy, vibrant, and growing. It should have never been there. And that's how we know that a church that majors, listen, if you major on the minor, listen, you'll find all sorts of things to disagree. Listen, the world already has enough disagreements of its own that you are caught up in. Did you know that? You want me to illustrate it? Florida Gator fans, let me see your hands. Put your hands down. Georgia fans, raise your hands. Florida State, two of you. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. See, you're hopelessly divided. You're hopelessly divided. There's already enough division out there in the world. Why in the world should we let it come in here and further pollute our fellowship to where it seizes us up? Listen, I'm getting tired. I'm getting tired of doing ministry in maintenance mode. You know how us pastors, sometimes we feel like we're just doing nothing but trying to keep the plate spinning. Why? Because sometimes we feel like we're all, the only thing we're doing is putting out fires, solving people's problems, doing this, doing that. When, if we all agree together and we're all growing in the Lord together, and this place is a facilitator for discipleship and spiritual maturity, we're not leading and we're not going in maintenance mode. We're going in growing mode. And making a difference in this world mode. That's why a while ago I said, some of you, your first prayer needs to be, your heart needs to be broken for the lost. 
You're too consumed with yourself. You are too consumed with your own prosperity. You are too consumed with your own comfort. You are too consumed with you to ever think that if God saved you, that there's anybody else left that needs the gospel as badly as you did. And I am further convinced that some churches, some Southern Baptist churches could very well put on their church sign. We're all right in here. Everyone else can go to hell. And that's the way the Corinthian church was shaping up. And Paul was sick to death over it. He said, guys, you've got to learn to start growing together. And when you grow, you will learn to agree on some things. And the more things that you find on agreement on, you're not having to put out fires. You're not having to lead in maintenance mode. You're not having to do all of these things. You won't have to major on the minors. And there's a particular word in here that I think uh, was, was given, obviously, by inspiration. But it was put in here to let us know how God is interjecting himself in here. If you look at the text here. That you be united. The latter, latter part of verse 10. Be united. The Greek word there is katartizo. It's the same word that is used elsewhere in the scriptures. Particularly in the Old Testament. That is referred to us. Being formed in the womb. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we refer to ourselves as the body of Christ. For a particular reason. Theologically, God has put us together. He has sewn us together. He has formed us to be together. We cannot live life apart from one another. And the ones that try to live their lives apart from a fellowship of God, they are always, typically, the ones who struggle the most. doesn't mean we'll always have same musical taste or political loyalties, but we're just to be so, so uh, solidly united about Jesus that there is no room for ministerial based factions. That's why next week is going to be a big Sunday for us. I believe we can all agree that there's someone in our circles of influence that is lost and needs Jesus and can come to church with us if we would simply ask them to come. There's absolutely no reason why this entire place can't be full. Number two, our fellowship has an inherent testimony to the world. What is ours? What is ours? Look at the text here. Verse 11, it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, brown brothers. Now, here's something interesting. Chloe wasn't even in Corinth. You know where Chloe's people was, her household? You know where it was located? Biblical sources tell us she was in Ephesus. Look at your Bible maps. Not now, but later. Corinth, here. Ephesus, right over here. They weren't close to one another. They weren't neighboring towns. Their testimony of this congregation had gotten so out of hand, word had gotten over to Ephesus, to Chloe's household, and that's how Paul found out about it. Listen, guys, news travels. In small towns, it travels faster. And I don't care what you say about this church or what my opinion is about this church. Now, I think my opinion is, is pretty good. When I, I, I think it's a great church. I think we could all agree that we are, uh, we, we've got a lot of things that we are doing absolutely right. I mean a lot of things. But you know whose opinion really counts? Go buy flash foods on your way home. 
I don't care if you need gas or not. Just stop by there to park, park there by the pump. Go in there and get your Gatorade or something. And then they ask somebody if they've ever heard of First Baptist Church of Boulogne. Their opinion counts. I gave out a true life card earlier this week. I, I, uh, Winn-Dixie and, and gas stations are a lot of my primary areas. And I gave one out to a subway worker this past week. A lady there working the counter. And gave her a true life card. I said, man, I said, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Boulogne. Do you know where that church is at? She said, nope. There ain't no town that small where everybody's going to know where everything is. And we've got people who are not only lost, they don't even know where to go to church. Well, I very quickly and kindly and explained to her where our church was located and desperately wanted her to come and visit with us and told her about truelife.org. And, you know, there's, there's, uh, we get those cards. They're out there in the foyer. There's some over here in that side foyer. There's some right out here. And that it's useful for you to go if you've got hard questions about life. There's some excellent videos by experts to help give you some answers you're looking for. See, at that point in time, my opinion of, of this place didn't matter at all. What mattered was hers. And let's not be consumed to pat ourselves on the back and say, well, we're the friendliest church in town. Really? Is that what the public would say? You see, we've got to be careful that, that our testimony, we have an inherent testimony to the world. And the only way we're going to know what our testimony is is not by asking one another because we'll give each other the answers we want to hear, won't we? Let's go to the world and find out what they think about us. August of 2014, I was in Nashville, Tennessee at a Lifeway conference, and I'm in downtown, and you got to understand, uh, Nashville, Tennessee is kind of like my second home. I, I entered ministry there. I met my wife there. I have a lot of emotional attachment to that city. And so I'm staying in the hotel, and I had rented a car, and... And uh, uh, we had finished the conference, and I'm headed back to the hotel. I had some pastors with me. We pulled up to the hotel, and, 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 and we let them out. And we noticed that there was this couple uh, standing out uh, there in the, in the uh, uh, kind of awning of the hotel. And I was going to go park the car after letting them out, but we, we just noticed they looked like they needed something. A young couple, 20-somethings, you know, thought they were going to go out and have a good time. And I struck up a conversation, where, where are y'all headed to? And they said, well, there's a concert in town, we wanted to go to it, blah, blah, blah. And they said, we're supposed to have a ride or a shuttle, and, and we're running late. I said, I'll be glad to give you a ride. If, if that's okay with you, I'll be glad to give you a ride. They jumped in my car, and uh, in the rental car, and I took them down to, uh, uh, down to Music Row. And uh, uh, there's the place set up, I could see where they were wanting to go, and it was an outdoor concert, whatever. I don't know who was singing, it's irrelevant now. And all along the way, they asked me what I was doing in town. I said, oh, I'm a pastor, and uh, uh, Nashville, Tennessee is the corporate headquarters of Lifeway. And uh, they're hosting a conference for us and uh, doing some things about discipleship. And they asked, well, what kind of church do you pastor? I said, Southern Baptist Church. And now remember, these, these guys, uh, as I started developing this uh, uh, conversation, uh, they, didn't, they didn't go to church anywhere, so far as I could tell. And the questions I was asking, uh, although I didn't ask directly, but the answers I was getting, they didn't go to church, and they were not saved. But... This is what they did tell me verbatim. They said, well, we've only been to church a handful of times in recent years. 
But the Southern Baptist church that we went to treated us the best than any other church we ever went to. I was like, you go, you go. Guys, that's the testimony we've got to aim for. And not just that we put a good taste in people's mouths because of our church environment. But listen, the Bible says, Lord says, taste and see that I am good. We need to put a gospel meant into their mouth and that it's irresistible. So they, they got to come back and wanting more. And that's our testimony to the world. The Corinthian church had this testimony. They kept forgetting. They, they, were, they were struggling on Monday, Tuesday, and all throughout the week. And they forgot that they carried the church's testimony on Monday and Tuesday. Guys, you carry Balone's testimony every day of the week. All right, finally, our fellowship cannot sustain itself apart from the power of the gospel. What is your strength? What is your strength? The final verse is the kind of the capstone to the text. On the outset, it may seem disconnected with what Paul was trying to argue. I mean, he was trying to argue for agreement. But look at what he said in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Very simply and very quickly, here's how it worked. If Paul, if there was any person in the New Testament who had like the qualifications and had the resume, it was Paul. For, as a Jew, as a Pharisee, as all of those things, this guy was, he was educated, he was motivated, and he was ready to go. But he said, I count all of that as loss. I only want Jesus to shine through me because I don't want people to see my strength. I want people to see Jesus. He is my strength. I don't want them to see my ministry prowess. I don't want them to see me, uh, you know, articulate whatever. I just want them to see Christ being my strength. And I believe what we see here out of Paul and what he's doing is kind of like the big indicator for us relative to this text and our, and our uh, intergrade uh, spiritual amnesia. When we wake up every morning, we have to ask ourselves by what strength or by whose strength am I going to get through this day? Am I going to get through this day because I'm so cool? Am I going to get through this day based upon what other people can do for me? Am I going to get by or get through this day because of a doctor's appointment? Or I'm going to be able to, to make it. Is my strength my medication? Is, is my true strength my checking account? Is my strength my business? Is my strength my family? If you answered yes to any of those. You'd be wrong. And you're placing the source of your strength in something that will eventually let you down. Christ will never let you down. You'll let down one another. I'll let you down. You'll let down me. I mean, at some point, because we are, we are flawed by sin. And no matter how good we can try to be and how great we can love one another, we'll screw it up somehow. We will find a way to mess it up. Christ won't. He will never leave you. He never forsakes you. The only thing he wants is to be first and preeminent in your life and in every single relationship that you have. He wants to be your passion. He wants to be your zeal. He wants to be what motivates you to live this upcoming week. 
He wants to influence what you say. He wants to influence what you see. He wants to influence what you do. And rather than going through life based upon what you can do, listen, and here's something that, you know, we all have histories, right? We all have stories. And it is so easy to take our personal stories and experiences and let them be the catalyst for living. Paul said, I'm not going to let the fact that I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of the Jews, I'm not going to let any of that stuff be my passion or zeal for living. I didn't come here to do all that. I just came here to preach Jesus. And I'm going to do it through history. In other words, I'm just going to rely upon him. And you you don't get to that point. You don't get to that point unless you've decided and purposed in your heart that I'm going to stop majoring on the minors. You're not going to get to that point. You're not going to learn how to trust in Jesus until you get to know Jesus. Now, to hear me preach this sermon, you would think, well, I thought I was supposed to read my Bible, pray every day, and I'll grow, grow, grow. Yes, you will. But our growth and our our faith, our spiritual growth is never one-dimensional. You can't do without any of that. You can't do without uh, every day or at least regularly spending time in God's Word and every day praying. You can't do it without being a regular, faithful attender of a corporate worship service. You can't. There's just no way it's going to happen. But listen, guys, you're not going to be able to fake your testimony either. You, you, can, you can say whatever you want to on Instagram and tweet whatever tweet. You can put whatever post on Facebook. You can, you can shine bright on social media. But that ain't your testimony. It's the people around you. It's your coworkers. It's your children. It's your husband. It's your wife. It's your grandparents. It's your fiance. It's your dentist. It's the lady cashier ringing you up at the grocery store. The reason why they were so messed up, the Corinthian church, I mean, when we're going to be walking through this thing and you're going to see these guys were getting a lot wrong, sometimes common sense stuff wrong. But guys, it begins here. So let me, let me give you three questions to think about, to respond to. Question number one, um, how are you growing? How are you growing? If you're ever going to stop majoring on the minors, if you're ever going to get to a point where you're not easily offended and your skin kind of thickens up a little bit and you can take the heat and you can, you know, and we're able to move forward and, and, and not be so consumed with ourselves, so inwardly focused, you've got to grow. And in the Christian walk, there's no such thing as static Christianity. It, meaning this, you're either growing or you're going backwards. You are never at a standstill. You're only moving one way or another at any one time. How are you growing? What are you doing to grow? Number two, what is our testimony to our community? And then what is your testimony to your community? So it's a kind of a twofold question wrapped up into one. 
My name may be on a church sign. But you are the church. People will see more of you than they ever do of me. Collectively. You bear as great of a testimony about the congregation that we are than I will. I'm a part of that too. Every word I say, I, I was in, a, I, I took uh, uh, my daughter and uh, uh, one of her friends out to Latitude something. It's a bowling joint down in, because I was, I don't know why I was, I don't know why I did that anyway, because, um, boy, that was, yeah, nuts. But I was there. And a couple come up and said, are, are, are you Chris Wooder, the pastor of First Baptist Belong True Story? I said, do I, does he owe you money? That's how I was. I was like, uh, you know. So they said, are you, but it was someone in our community had been watching me the whole time, and I never knew they were there. The world has its eyes on you, church. You are the testimony. And that testimony don't change because you just show up on Sunday morning. You bring that testimony with you. Number three, where is your strength and what is the evidence? Where is your strength? But what is the evidence? Those are the three questions I'm asking you to respond to this morning. If neither of these answers are pleasing to the Lord, you know what to do. You know what I would ask for you to do. I would ask all of you to come. If you're here this morning and you've heard this message and you're listening, and, but just something isn't resonating with you because you've never settled in your heart who you belong to, where you've put your faith and put your trust, I beg of you this morning to come and place your trust in Christ for the very first time and make him your Lord and Savior. Accept his free gift of salvation and eternal life in heaven. I, my call is to those of you who are struggling. You've got a burden in your life and on your heart. Maybe it's children, marriage. It, it, it could be all sorts of things. Job, it doesn't matter. It may be insignificant to someone else, but I, it's significant to you. But it's not insignificant to Jesus. You come and present your request to him. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that, uh, that as we um, sing the song and the musicians play, and we kind of go over in our minds what we've heard this morning from your word, that we'll be strong enough and ready and willing to go ahead and move forward, to take that step and to come. And to make the decisions that need to be made. To do the things that need to be done. Father, I don't want this church. I don't want us stuck in maintenance mode. I don't want us uh, worrying persistently and perpetually over finances. And do we have what it takes to get it done. I don't want us worried about the things that, that can hinder us and bind us together. I don't want, God, I don't want any of these things. I don't think anyone else here does either. But Father, we must realize that we won't ever do anything more than what a fully consecrated heart would allow. And Father, we offer that to you this morning. I pray, God, that you would just burden the hearts of everyone here to respond as they should for your will to be done. In Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org.